0: AT&T Fiber live like a Gagillionaire. available wherever you get your podcast limited to availability in select areas visit att.com/hypergig with details From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board this is uncanny USA he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tannerito's. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that tallies the cost of history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Lusier, and today, we're looking at the surprisingly recent birth of everyone's favorite civic duty, paying income tax. The day was January 9th, 1799. British Prime Minister William Pitt the Younger introduced the nation's first income tax. The widely unpopular measure was intended to help finance the ongoing and incredibly expensive wars against Napoleonic France. By the late 1790s, things were looking grim for Britain, both strategically and financially. A French invasion from across the Channel seemed more likely by the day, and there was growing concern that Britain didn't have the money needed to mount an effective defense. The UK Parliament was already collecting plenty of taxes, including ones on property, horses, windows, wallpaper, bricks, wool, and even hats. The country had always stopped short of directly taxing the wealth of its citizens, but desperate times called for desperate measures. Prime Minister Pitt announced this new income tax in 1798, and it came into force on January 9th the following year. Faced with considerable public backlash, Pitt stressed at every turn that the tax would only be temporary. William Pitt had served as Prime Minister since 1783 and spent much of that time trying to restructure Britain's failing fiscal policy. His ideas were largely based on the principles of Scottish economist Adam Smith and centered on the introduction of a new series of taxes aimed primarily at the wealthy. These included taxes on large estates, as well as on the carriages, horses, and servants used to run them. And while taxpayers weren't fans of Pitt's approach to financial reform, there was no arguing with the results. His approach boosted annual government revenue from just under £13 million in 1783 to nearly £19 million in 1792. However, one year later, Britain went to war with revolutionary France, and that £6 million gain from new taxes suddenly didn't seem like much. The government responded with increases to indirect taxes, and with the addition of a new inheritance tax, but it still wasn't enough. By 1798, a French invasion seemed imminent, and without a major cash infusion, the British army and navy were likely to be overwhelmed. It was in that desperate climate that financial expert Henry Beek proposed a tax on income as a last-ditch way to raise money. Prime Minister Pitt liked the idea and added it to the budget of December 1798 as a temporary measure to aid, quote, the prosecution of the war. The tax would apply to all of Great Britain, but not to Ireland, and was estimated to raise 10 million pounds each year. The new tax was levied at a progressive rate depending on income. Those who made less than £60 per year weren't taxed at all, while those who made between 60 and £200 were taxed at 1%, and those who earned more than £200 were taxed at 10%. When the tax first went into effect, many merchants and manufacturers evaded it, believing it to be unjust. However, as the war dragged on, income tax was gradually accepted as a necessity. And paying it became a kind of patriotic duty. That said, Pitt and his tax were still widely criticized. That's partly because the tax had brought in far less money than expected, only slightly more than six million pounds in 1799. But popular or not, the tax revenue helped keep Britain afloat until its eventual peace treaty with France in 1802. By that point, William Pitt the Younger had resigned as Prime Minister, and his successor, Henry Addington, was openly denouncing the policy of income tax. The unpopular measure was repealed shortly after the treaty with Napoleon was signed, but when war broke out with France again the following year, Addington quickly went back on his word and reinstated income tax. It continued to be collected for the remainder of the Napoleonic Wars, but was abolished again in 1816, one year after Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo. It's probably no surprise, but that wasn't actually the end of income tax in Great Britain. A few decades later, it was revived again for another war, that time with Crimea. And by the 1860s, income tax was an unhappy but unavoidable fact of life. Worse yet, the idea of it proved contagious. Countries around the world followed Britain's lead by introducing their own forms of income tax. Some even adopted it for the same reason as Britain to offset the expense of costly wars. That was the case in the United States, where income tax was introduced in 1861 as a way to pay for the impending Civil War. You probably didn't need yet another reason to dislike war, but just in case, there you go. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully, you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. work. Zumo Play.